some fell right down that rabbit hole so reality is questionable try but you just can't let it go these two right here put on the show it's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul And their dogs ninja Hey guys, welcome to episode 292 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Guys, I got a little bit of a scratchy throat, so um, hopefully it doesn't uh, mess up the recording too much. But as you can sound, my beautiful pipes are not working today. That's probably. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely get through it, though, because we have a big show. we got Amy Bruni on this episode. And uh, obviously, before we start, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world no matter which country you represent, thanks to all of you guys, gals, and service animals. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for keeping us safe. We always continue to pray for you all and for you all to come home soon. We love you all. All right, Tracy. You know, it's, it, it's a shame that it, this sounds like a broken record every week, but there's just so many people out there that's struggling right now mentally with depression, with uh, still COVID stuff going on with you name it. There's there's all kinds of things that are affecting people's lives. And unfortunately, you know, it, these things aren't, aren't just, aren't they're, they're not just adults. I mean, you no, know, we, they're not. We, we saw a story the other day about a, was it a 12-year-old boy who committed suicide because of bullying in school? Yeah. You know, we, we've, I, I just talked to somebody the other night that was, uh, 16 years old or so, you know, that's struggling and not only are they struggling, but they're trying to help their friends that are struggling. Mm -hmm. And it's just, um, it's the world we live in and it just lets you know, you have to be there for everybody. Yeah. Cause you it totally to. sucks. It does. And don't always wait for somebody to reach out to you. If you know, you got friends that are family members that may be struggling, check on them, ask them how they're doing. Mm -hmm. They may not tell you unless you ask. Oh, oh that's very true. You guys, Try to reach out and, you know, it's just and one little thing that you might say to them might make the whole difference in everything. Yep, absolutely. Just knowing somebody's there is a lot of times the the battle's won. Mm -hmm. Just knowing you've got somebody to turn to, even if you don't turn to them. Right. Reach out to our group. Um, reach out to Jerry and I. We will do our best. And if you'd rather call the hotline number, it's 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741, but there's always going to be someone to listen, to lend an ear, whatever it takes for you guys. So just reach out. All right, Tracy. So we've done a bunch of stories about poltergeists. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say that the one that we're going to be doing tonight is different than any of the other ones we've ever covered. Oh, cool. Obviously, most of these poltergeist cases... Uh, kind of revolve around one specific person, usually a younger person, but but not always. We've also done some stories that involved haunted objects, such as uh, primarily haunted dolls, or we've even done haunted chairs. Mm -hmm. In this highly unusual case, we're going to talk about a bone. A bone. That's right. That's what she just said. Like, <laughs> just like a just a random bone. No, I'm. Well, not a I would, random I would bone, think you, but... would, you would probably figure that there's more to it than that, but... Oh. <laughs> uh, you never know. No, it's not just any bone. It's a bone that was taken from an ancient Egyptian skeleton. Oh, my gosh. At least that's what appears to be what caused a bunch of activity in 1936. And some of this was actually violent activity. Oh, I'm sure if you take somebody's bone, they ain't going to be happy about it. <laughs> now, we obviously have talked about the curse of King Tut. And this may oh. be another case of an Egyptian curse. So let's go back to 1936. Let us do it. <laughs> 
Sir Alexander Hay Seaton, who was the 10th baronet of Abercorn and his wife Zila, visited Egypt. Now, they were baronets of Scotland mm-hmm. back in the time. They visit Egypt, and while they were there, they decided to visit all the touristy spots that you would normally do, or whatever the touristy spots were in 1936. Yeah, I was like, I wonder what that was. <laughs> but you'd be surprised because all the stuff that we think about now was there then. Yeah, true. Obviously, so. Probably a lot of cool stuff back there. Yeah, so they went to the tomb of King Tut, which was fairly recent at that time, because um, this was 36. They went to the uh, temple at Luxor. And one day they went to the Valley of the Kings on Camelback. Ooh. But they were sore after that. Well. Has anybody ever ridden a camel? I have ridden a camel. And let me tell you something. It was a sight to behold. Well, I don't think they liked it. Well, I I didn't like it either because my dang legs were too short. And it was very hard on... Because Sir Alexander, Sir Alexander described the camels as unpleasant. So mm-hmm. I would think they probably had the same experience you had. Yeah, it, it wasn't fun. But I felt really tall, which <laughs> was a plus. The couple was actually staying at one of the finest hotels in Cairo. It was close to the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid. So, you know, anything that we would probably go visit today. You they sure they didn't go to too. Vegas? No, I don't think that was Vegas. <laughs> They love the food and the bathing there. Ooh. The bathing. I wonder what. I mean, it's, how you bathe? What's so well, different? I'm just saying, back in the early 30s, I don't know how how what the bathing situation was in, in Scotland, but I definitely don't know what it was in Egypt where it was so much better, but I don't know. Oh. Well, good for them. It's the little things, man. <laughs> During their stay there, they met a local guide by the name of Abdul. Now, he offered to take them to see some unusual places that most tourists don't get to go see. Top of that list was a tomb that had just been opened and was being excavated currently by some archaeologists. So, I wonder how he got privileged to go to those places. No idea. Because I was just wondering what, I was just sitting there thinking, I know there was a little lull there, but I was trying to think in my brain what could be in there that would be so fascinating. To Sir Alexander and his wife, this sounded like a golden opportunity. So they had Abdul to go ahead and arrange a tour ASAP. The day comes and Abdul takes the couple to the tomb and he leads them down two dozen steps. These steps were carved out of solid rock. And soon the couple were standing in the main chamber. There on a stone slab laid an old musky skeleton. It had scraps of cloth that had mostly rotted away over the centuries. Oh, wow. The couple was told by Abdul that this was the remains of a young girl from an upper-class family. Why didn't they bury her? Babe, they put everybody in upper-class in pyramids and stuff back then. This is Egypt. Oh, that's right. When's the last time you seen a picture of Egypt and there were headstones everywhere? Oh, I'm dumb. I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> well, after they got through with the tour, all three ascended back to the surface. Zila, though, she was so fascinated that she went back down for a a, a little last look by herself. She didn't stay long, and soon all three were on their way back to Cairo. Later that night at the hotel, Zila confessed to Sir Alexander that she had a secret. She had taken something from the (gasps) tomb. Now, come on. That is so rude. She held her hand out, and in it was a strange-looking bone. It had belonged to the skeleton of the young girl on the slab. This is how Sir Alexander described the bone. It looked like a digestive biscuit, slightly convex, and shaped like a heart. Now, what it actually was, was the skeleton's sarcum, which is the last bone on the vertebral column that is attached to the pelvis. Oh, I know that bone. I'm sure you do. I do. I see it in my face. I see it not in my face, but I see it in my mind. I do know what it is. When the couple got back to their home in Edinburgh, Scotland, they invited some friends over to uh, basically have an evening of talking about their trip and uh, show their little secret. Why would they even do that? Why would they admit to somebody that they took a part of a bone? 
from a dead person. Well, I mean, I'm sure that was a big deal back then to have an Egyptian skeleton bone. Gosh, I know, but I just couldn't imagine doing such a thing. Go ahead, sorry. During the visit with their friends that, that evening, Sir Alexander pulled out the bone and he showed their guests. After everyone had taken a look, he cautiously placed it into a glass display case. He kept the display case, at least temporarily, on a table in their dining room. A few hours later, just as the guests were leaving, the poltergeist activity started. Outside, under a covered section of the porch, Sir Alexander was bidding farewell to the guests as a huge chunk of the roof crashed to the ground just inches from where he was standing. Oh, dang. The next morning, Sir Alexander found that a chimney pot had fallen to the ground. I'm waiting. What's a chimney pot? I knew you was going to ask, so I looked it up. Oh, yay for you. It's not what it sounds like. When you look at the outside of a building and you look at the chimney, Mm -hmm. usually the top of it has some kind of little covering that'll keep water from getting down down in it. Mm -hmm. That's a chimney pot. So, I thought I was thinking it was something from the inside. Yeah, but I it was actually never. from the outside it, that had fallen. I'll be dang. But those two technically could have been connected. Maybe a structural problem or something. Mm, yeah. Anyways, from that point on, there was a series of events we'll say that happened over the next several weeks. Sir Alexander and his wife made the connection that this series of events must be associated with the bone. This is what led them to believe there must be a curse on the bone. See, bad things happen. About a week later, their children's nanny burst in their bedroom and blurted out that she was sure she heard something moving around in the dining room. Sir Alexander ran downstairs, looked around, Nothing seemed to be out of place, and he found nothing that would have accounted for the sounds that the nanny heard. A few hours later, though, he himself heard a heavy thud that came from the dining room area. The next morning, his wife Zila found the glass case on the floor, and the bone had rolled out of it. Zila accused Sir Alexander of knocking it over, but he quickly denied, you know, her accusation. He said, hey, he's okay. He's just hawking on a bone. <laughs> that was a good timing, then. <laughs> but he did say that maybe it was possible that he put the table on a piece of unlevel floor or where it was sitting on the wall might have been unlevel. And it might have caused it to, uh, vibrations in the house might have caused it to fall over during the night. But why wouldn't they think something different since all the other stuff that's been happening? Well, I mean, you want to think logical stuff initially. You don't want to, as soon as your lights flicker, assume it's a ghost. It could be a circuit or a bad light or whatever. Over the next several weeks, several other baffling crashes and sounds were heard throughout their home. Then people began to see apparitions. Their young nephew was the very first to witness one. The young man had come, and he was staying for a few days. One morning, he went to the the downstairs bathroom. He saw a funny-dressed person going up the stairs as he went down, according to him. Ooh, like he passed him on the stairs? Next, the servants claimed that they saw a phantom-like robed figure roaming around the house at night. Missing a tailbone? No, I don't think that was... (laughs) (laughs) Not long after this, they started losing their servants. As you can imagine, servants uh, don't really want to work at a place where there's phantom robed figures roaming around. Yeah, that could be true. And they're making messes on top of that. Sir Alexander moved the case with the bone from the dining room to an upstairs drawing room. And this is where he kept his collection of valuable snuff boxes. And a snuff box is... You know what a snuff box is. I do. Snuff. Like the tobacco? Yes. Oh. That would have been huge back in the early 1900s. I just didn't realize they had such things as snuff boxes. Yeah, it was. Why ain't they in the back pocket? It's it's boxes where he kept uh, snuff films. 
from where they had killed all these people and sold them on the black market on the internet. That's where he kept them at. In snuff boxes. Oh, then why did you say what I said? Are you making fun of me? Yes. Oh. Yeah, and it's even funnier that you didn't realize I was making fun of you. But I love you. Oh. Yes, a snuff box that you would keep like tobacco that you would snort. Which snuff. one is it, fool? It's, well, they didn't have snuff films or the internet in 1935 or 1936, so we're going to go with the tobacco. Oh, yay for me. <laughs> God love you. Mm. Anyway, so that's where he kept them. God does love me. Get over it. <laughs> By now, he was convinced that the bone was the root of all these issues that they were having. And he decided one night he was going to stay up and he was going to keep watch over it. So he locked all the doors and windows. And then he basically camped out on the balcony right outside of the drawing room. I wonder why they call it a drawing room. I mean, that, surely that's not places where people just went and drew. Yes, it is. They call it that till this day. I know they still call it a drawing room, but I, why would you have a specific room you just went and drew, drew in? Because all architect? your stuff's up in there. Like all your pencils and your crayons and your paint <laughs> and your paper. God, you're so silly. Anyway, How so he's... How do not know that? He sits, <laughs> he sits up. He sits up outside this room and nothing happened for several hours. Then he was suddenly awakened by his wife, who had heard noises coming from the drawing room. When Sir Alexander unlocked the room, he said he found it looking as if a battle royale had taken place in there. Books and furniture had been thrown all about. A vase was knocked over. The windows were still closed and locked. So that meant nobody could have made it in there. Yeah, sure. In the middle of the mess was the bone still in the case and untouched. There appeared to be no possible way anyone could have entered the room, so he was completely baffled. After this incident, there was actually a few weeks of peace and quiet. But just as they thought the curse had run its course, the bangings, crashes, and thuds started again. They always appeared to be coming from the drawing room. Getting tired of cleaning up the mess and messes and other messes, they decided to move all the small articles from the drawing room to a sitting room downstairs, and they only left the heavy furniture in the drawing room. The glass case with the bone and the table that it sat on was taken downstairs as well. Less than a week later, the couple returned home from an outing to find that their downstairs room was in an unbelievable state of disarray. <laughs> we should have known that was coming. Chairs and tables had been flipped over, books were scattered, and glassware shattered. Nothing was where it was supposed to have been. The table that the case sat on was tipped over, and one of the legs was now cracked. But the case and the bone sat undamaged on the floor. And he was just like, you just had to bring that damn bone home, didn't you, Biatch? Now look at all this mess. Oh, you're going to find she's hooked. She is devoted to this bone. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Inevitably, the Scottish newspapers got hold of the story. There were headlines in all of the Scottish newspapers, not just Edinburgh. One read, Baronet fears feral curse on family. One reporter actually got permission to borrow the bone for a few days. He returned it by the end of the week, stating that nothing unusual had happened. Two weeks later, he became ill and had to have emergency surgery on his abdomen. Dang. He should have had like a gut feeling. That's a, uh, yeah. Uh, bad to the bone. Not long after this, Sir Alexander and his wife left their home. Sir Alexander remarked that he thought that nerves were their nerves were strained as a family because of the strange going on. And the couple actually had a very big fight, and they agreed to separate and live apart for a while. Zila took her five-year-old daughter, and she went and stayed with her family. Sir Alexander stayed at his club. I guess there was some kind of club he was a part of. Before he left, he moved the bone and its case back to the upstairs drawing room. 
The house was not left empty, though. Their loyal nanny decided to stay behind. One night, long after the couple had moved out, she heard a loud crash. It had come from the drawing room. She was too scared to go check it out, so she didn't. She told Sir Alexander when he came over about it, and he decided to go upstairs and investigate, and he found that the room was undisturbed, except for the bone. The table was turned on its side and was completely broken now. Beside it lay the bone split into five pieces. The bone finally split? Split into five pieces, yes. The press obviously continued to, to follow this story. And, of course, there were all kinds of suggestions as to what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And the most obvious was to get rid of the bone altogether. Um, like they should have done years ago? Zila absolutely refused to do this. Now, another story said that Sir Alexander had made plans to send Zila back to Egypt with the bone to return it to its rightful place in the tomb. To me, that sounds like the best option. Absolutely. Others suggested burying the bone, and some others even suggested throwing it in the sea. The couple got many offers from people who wanted to buy the bone, but they rejected all those offers and mainly said that they didn't want anybody else to experience the misfortunes that. Mm -hmm. that they've had with the curse. So that was their main reason for not selling it. Zila next took the five pieces of the bone to a doctor, and she asked him if he would cement them back together, make it whole again. <laughs> Once this was completed, the bone was placed on a table in the hallway next to the dining room. A newspaper reported that a maid that worked for the doctor who did these repairs, she actually broke her leg while she was running in a panic from a gliding robed figure during the time that the bone was being worked on. And was in the uh, house of the doctor. Mm. Now keep in mind that Sir Alexander and his wife were still separated. But they would still occasionally meet and have these social gatherings or what have yeah. you. They hosted a dinner party at their home. During this affair, the table with the bone on it took off across the hall and smashed into the opposite wall. No one had been near the table at the time this happened. This caused two women to faint, and the other guests soon left out of fear. Okay. I'll be right behind them. This was the straw that broke the camel's back for Sir Alexander. So he decided the bone had to go, and he thought it would be best to destroy it. He and Zila were now back together, at least temporarily. He knew that she would not agree to the destruction of the bone. So, he had to wait till she left the house for a couple of days. As an added precaution, Sir Alexander arranged for his uncle, who was a minister, to come and exercise whatever evil spirit the bone might contain. I like how they automatically assume it's an evil spirit, and not the fact that they went and desecrated a body. But I don't understand why she is so against getting rid of this bone or taking it back. And she's done seen all the havoc it's done maybe on it had, everybody. Maybe, she, maybe it had an attachment to her or something. Maybe there was, you know, you see sometimes to where people can't see what's truly going on because they're under an influence or something. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was the case. Could be. So after the rites were performed by his uncle, Sir Alexander, his nanny and his uncle proceeded to destroy the bone. They brought it into the kitchen, they put it on the fire, and they watched it burn. It took a very long time, and what was left was put in a bucket with the ashes. Now, this was according to the nanny. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Sir Alexander, most of this came from, Sir Alexander had an unpublished, like, memoirs that he had written. So all this stuff was written down, and that's where most of the story came from. Mm -hmm. It's straight from his work. Well, that's good. In his memoirs, Sir Alexander later wrote that, the curse did not end with the destruction of the bone. From 1936 onward, trouble always seemed to beset me. Yeah. So, well, that's what you get. Yeah. It's not his fault. Well, it's not his fault, and that's the whole thing. If she would just do what she was supposed to do, all this crap would stop, hopefully. He said, Zila never forgave me for destroying the bone 
and it did not help our already rocky marriage. And this definitely was true because the couple actually divorced in mid-1939, so three years after getting the bone, they divorced. Zila remarried, and she experienced several medical conditions and misfortunes, and she actually died a few years later. Oh, dang. Yeah. So the curse still was going on, huh? If that's the way you want to look at it. Yeah. I mean, it could just be she just, but I mean, it doesn't look good. No. Sir Alexander remarried in 1939, but he separated from his, uh, from his second wife in 1953, and then they divorced five years later. He remarried again in 1962, but he was a depressed man. His third wife said that he often talked about the bone and said that he firmly believed that it had a negative effect on his existence. He remarked that he was born during an earthquake and his life was a tremor ever since. Oh, wow. Very poetic. I like that. His third marriage was a short one. On their honeymoon, he told his wife that he had a premonition that they would only be married for six months. In fact, he died seven months later. No way. He was close. He was. That's sad. The mystery of just how this bone produced poltergeist activity and presumably the robed figure remains an enigma. Few theories on psychical, in psychical research can account for the phenomena in this particular case. Perhaps the spirit of the Egyptian girl, outraged at her skeleton being violated, was able to induce some great power and use the bone like a talisman to produce violent damage in Sir Alexander and Zila's house and on their marriage and subsequent life after. Who knows? Yeah, just think about how things would have been so different if she hadn't touched that dang bone. Yeah, I mean, it might not have been any different, but mm. you just need to leave stuff where it goes. Yep. I can't imagine, I can't imagine just being taken down to something that most people don't get to see. It was a privilege that they even got to see it and, and to take to something it. from yep. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, we're going to take a really quick break from our sponsor. We'll be back with the Amy Bruni interview. You guys are going to love this one. This one's really fun. And uh, we'll talk about the the live shows coming up because the tickets for the Louisville show are starting to go fast. All right, guys. So real quick, I'm not going to keep continuing to make you hear my uh, Brian Johnson ACDC voice. (laughs) So we're going to get through hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Lots of live events going on. Still got tickets for the cruise. That's this September. That's literally, what, seven months away? Yeah. Six months away? Crazy. And uh, it's going to be a blast. There are still tickets and you still got time to go. Still cheap uh, rooms available so you can make this happen. You can use your tax refund to pay for it if you want to. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's out there thinking, man, I like going on that cruise, but I ain't got the money. And I said, hey, you could maybe use tax. And they're like, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to use it to on foolish stuff like shelter and clothing and food. <laughs> But I can use that for the cruise yeah. instead. <laughs> Make wise decisions, people. Anyways, <laughs> we got that. The Louisville show is in April. Us, Ohio, Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. It's going to be a blast. It will be fun. That's for sure. And there's never a dull moment with them boys. No. Then we've got a bunch of other live shows. Go to the events page, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. You can see all of it. And you can buy merch to wear there. But don't worry. Don't fret, little ones. If you don't buy your merch... We'll have plenty of shirts and stuff there. Oh, yeah. Including our new designs. So, oh, yeah. A bunch of new designs. Anyways, that's it, guys. Thank you so much. Tracy's got uh, some stuff to uh, get to real quick. Yeah, her voice is going to be a lot more pleasant than mine. And then we'll listen to Amy Bernie. Mm-hmm. All right. Our iTunes this week is Emmy Boo, Main Street Maddie, Mojo Lobster, and One Bad Mother. You know what? It's spelled P-H, though, not it. <laughs> Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. They were just so excited to see them. Keep them coming. Um, our Patreons was Neil Anders, Zevin Odelberg, Jennifer Guthrie, Rudy LeBay, and the Disgruntled Octopus. What's up with that? Nice. I love it. I would like to see what that is. What he does. It's what it's about. Bit of ink all over you. Yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Out of all eight legs. Yeah. Thanks for all of you. And and we won't give the amount, but 
I, I didn't even know you could do this until a, a while, short time ago, but we have different levels on Patreon and our top level is $15, but we've had people actually go in and, and make a pledge that's over and above that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know you could do that, but you can, you can make your own pledge, which oh, is pretty yeah. cool. Oh yeah, that's very nice. We appreciate y'all so and much. And some people have actually done that and we just want to say we really appreciate, we appreciate all of our Patreons. Oh my gosh, But for yes. somebody to even give over and above what is even stated on there is amazing to us. So Yeah, you guys are awesome. We love y'all. It means so much to us. Thank you for hanging in there with us and keeping us going. Yep. And Zevin Odelberg is the host of Kind of Murdery. So oh, that yeah. name sounded familiar. Yeah. So now what? Well, we're going to listen to Amy Bernie. Now what? All right, Amy. <laughs> All right, guys. We hope you enjoy. And sorry about the voice. It'd be better next week, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, guys. I am super excited to have this guest on because it's been, uh, man, I think almost four years since we've had uh, uh, the privilege to talk to the very talented Amy Bernie from uh, Kindred Spirits and obviously from the original Ghost Hunter show. Amy, thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, of course. I actually didn't realize it's been four years. That is so crazy. I think my mind, it just all is, it's blurring together. <laughs> no, I definitely, I definitely know that feeling. And it's probably been uh, longer than that since we've actually seen each other in person. I think we saw you at Scarefest in Lexington right before that. And I uh, haven't had a chance to, to catch up with you at any of the conventions since then. That is right. I completely forgot about that. I haven't been there in years either. So right. I think I'm trying to get back there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's tough. There's so, there's so many conventions today compared to what there were five years ago. It's just, it's hard to make the rounds. It is. It's like, you know, I, I, between the show and everything, traveling can be tough. And so there's so many events I want to do and I try to get to them all, but it's just a weird time thing is a factor. (laughs) It is. Once you can get that time travel thing figured out, you know, we'll uh, make things a lot easier, I would assume. So I need to clone me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's, let's talk a little bit. Obviously you got your, your start on ghost hunters. And I know we talked on the last show about how that was kind of a, it was a big deal because there weren't, weren't a whole lot of women in the, uh, the paranormal field, at least, at least on television uh, back then. And, and so that was kind of groundbreaking. Uh, not that, you know, you know, you were, you know, Copernicus or anything, but obviously mm-hmm. you were a role model out there for a lot of women that, that, that showed that, Hey, I can be on television. There were very few women on television in that mode. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that's, Still something you probably hear a lot from young women today about how you're a role model because of that. You know what I hear now that just, it makes me, I'm so like, it makes me so happy and I'm so humbled by it when I hear, I hear a lot, especially now from women who are moms. Like there's one woman who wrote me the other day and she was like, you are working mom goals, you know, like (laughs) just being able to kind of try to balance all these projects and things that I do, but also make sure that my daughter comes first and foremost, and, and I get her involved as much as I can and things. And so like, that's been the new thing is I just, you know, and I don't want to say new because my daughter is nine now, but I just, I love hearing from women or talking with women about ideas and brainstorming and in ways that you can be a really active parent, but also you know, be self-employed or follow your dreams. And so it's been, um, that's been really awesome. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Travel Channel's Kindred Spirits. Now, I told you when you were on the show last time that Kindred Spirits is my favorite paranormal show, uh, ghost hunting type show out there, because I find you and Adam and Chip to be so genuine. Uh, it's not that other shows don't have some of that, but it seems like that's the number one basis of kindred spirits is to genuinely help the people that, that you're, you're uh, interacting with for that particular episode. Um, I, I find Adam completely charming, uh, chip, even though he's got a tad bit of a potty mouth, he still fits in pretty well. And, you know, I think I think it's a great you three are a great combination. What are we on, Kindred Spirits? Are we season six, seven? We're at season six, and there's only two episodes left in season six. So it's um it's crazy how fast it's gone by. 
Uh, and so, yeah, but, but yeah, to that point, like we're just, I, you can tell that we're all just really great friends off screen. I think, I think that's essential. If you're going to have a team type show, you have to have people who get along. So thankfully we all get along very well. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun show. And like I said, it really comes across as heartwarming. I, I would say it's probably the best way to describe it. Every episode seems like there's just a, a moment, two, sometimes three, that just really tugs at the heartstrings and just, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just, like I said, heartwarming. That's the best way I can describe the show. Well, thank you. That, that means a lot. And it's funny because like our show, I, I mean, just having done a few other paranormal shows or just other shows in general, like it makes me realize how our show never has any direction when we start filming each investigation. Cause sometimes like I'll go into another show or another reality show and it'll be like, okay, we have to hit these points and we have to do this. And like our show very much, we never know how it's going to end. And so, you know, it's, um, we want to make sure we have our, our history and research and things, those points correct and, um, and on screen, but then like the actual paranormal part of it or how it's going to come about, like, all of that is completely genuine. So when those moments happen, like those are truly, you're right. They're from the heart. Like they're not scripted. They're not planned. And yet they keep happening time and time again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, it, it, it's, it's one of those things this season, especially has just been, we knew it was something special while we were filming it. That leads me into my next question. What's your favorite moment from this season? Obviously, we don't want to give any spoiler alerts away for the couple of episodes that haven't uh, oh, came out God. yet. But what what are uh, or if you, I won't pin you down to one, what's a couple of your favorite moments? Um, I would say like I would say probably one of my favorite moments was I think it was episode two of this season. It was this family that had this a haunted shoe in the attic, believe it or not. People have to watch the episode, but it was probably one of the most powerful episodes we've ever done because this man, the, the father, was just so emotionally tied to this attic situation and this shoe, and he was so upset and he was terrified for his family. And like, this was the house that his, you know, his parents owned. And so he, he just had so much wrapped up in this activity that he couldn't control. He felt like he couldn't control it. And so um, spoiler alert, but like, you know, we figured out what was going on and he was able to actually go back in the attic and he was just so emotional. And that was probably my favorite moment, kind of restoring things there. We still talk to them. And then we did have this like really naughty ghost, <laughs> this um, Vermont bed and breakfast that people cannot stop talking about. And it's probably one of my favorite, most awkward moments on TV because we were doing this like spirit box session or Estes session. And um, this ghost just started, the spirit started saying like the naughtiest things in my ears. And I was having to re like re say it. And Adam was like, what is wrong with this ghost? <laughs> It was like saying three way and like, I, like what kept saying it wanted to get naked. Like it was the weirdest, weirdest thing. And I was like, finally I took the headphones off and I'm bright red on the episode. I'm like, what is going on with this ghost? That's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> See, and that shows you, that shows you the difference when you're getting older. Like at my age, I'm in my fifties now. When I hear, if, if I had a ghost whisper three way, I would have immediately thought Skyline Chili. So that's just, <laughs> I think it was because there were so many other things it was saying at the same, I was like, am I hearing this right? And Adam was getting really defensive because <laughs> I don't know anything that he's asking. I don't know what so it, it's, it's just, you know, paranormal TV gold. I, I wasn't even sure. I, I wasn't even sure they were going to play it. I was like, how are they going to put this on the show? Because <laughs> I know a lot of families watch so. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Estes method, because that's really something that I'll be honest with you. I don't know how long it's been around, but it's really become popular over the last couple of years. What are your thoughts on that method and, and how genuine uh, of a method of communicating do you think that is compared to some of the others that we've used in the past? Well, I think it's huge. I mean, and it's been around. So we started doing it, I believe, in season one of Kindred. So it's been around, you know, six or seven years at this point. And we picked it up from uh, a team that was at the Stanley Hotel. It was Carl Pfeiffer, Connor Randall and Michelle Tate. And they were experimenting with it because we were all having that kind of same 
problem with the spirit box where you would hear kind of what you wanted to hear. Like you would ask a question and you, you know, you'd kind of like, you'd hear what you thought would be an answer, but it was kind of influenced by your preconceived notions of what the conversation could be. And so they started this method where they wore noise canceling headphones and blindfolds, and they would ask each other questions. And the person listening to the spirit box had no idea what the questions were or, or what was, you know, they couldn't see the reaction because they're blindfolded and they would just say whatever they heard. And they were having these really intense conversations. And so I really like that it eliminates um, that kind of power of suggestion or confirmation bias. And it also, um, you know, kind of, it, it just blows me away how much it works. So, I, I really enjoy it. Our viewers really like it. If we, we don't do it on a case. We try it on every case, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't make air. Obviously we're not going to show you a, a session that didn't come up with anything. And our viewers let us know like what happened, where was the spirit box? <laughs> you know, so, so they really like it. And, um, and, and we've had a lot of success with it. It's funny that you'd mentioned Connor Randall. Because I think most people that, that aren't, you know, the hard, hardcore uh, paranormal enthusiast probably became familiar with the Estes method through the uh, uh, Hellier series that uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk did. And of course, Connor was also a part of that. So I know that's that's where it had really I had seen it before. Like I said, I'd seen it on your show before, but I don't think I ever paid as much attention to it afterwards until I saw it in Hellier. So I think that did a lot for making that uh, process well known out there. Well, yeah. And then now it's like, we're all experimenting with it differently too. You know, we play with it a lot where we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go into different areas and like use our walkies to ask the questions, you know, or we'll both do it at the same time. Like it just opens up this whole kind of new arena. And so we're always trying to think of ways to, to play with it. Do you guys on the set of kindred spirits, uh, play ever play any kind of pranks or anything on each other? Is it pretty much it's hard. I would think it's hard to be serious business all the time. You know, I, we really, I would like to say that we do, but like, we're always joking. Like we are always joking around, like to the point where like the, sometimes the, the producers or director of photography or whatever, will have to be like, you need to stop smiling. This is a creepy show. <laughs> like, sorry, <laughs> you know, we are just the happiest ghost hunters. And so, um, I can't think of like a prank off the top of my head though. I'm sure they have happened, but I will be honest. Like we are so busy on that show because you know, we're filming four or five days and it's just Adam and me. And so we are investigating every night and every day we are genuinely researching and taking field trips to libraries and historical societies. And like, there are definitely like, like there is very little, downtime um for us to to pull any pranks there were like a lot more pranks on ghost hunters like they had <laughs> there's more there's more downtime on ghost hunters because they have a whole team to do everything for us it's like right we we're busy <laughs> but we're not has, we are very fun though i promise <laughs> has chip ever said anything that just completely shocked you or threw you off i mean he seems like he's got that larger than life personality and I know he likes to to just say some of the most absurd things just to get a reaction sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Yes, he does. You know, it, it's so funny. Chip did not swear on the show that often. And then I, I have a very big potty mouth. And so he, he would, he would, he is a dirty old man. Don't get me wrong. I call him that <laughs> right? all the time. But, um, <laughs> You know, he would keep himself, he wouldn't swear, but then he saw that I was swearing. And so now he just lets her rip. And now everyone's like, Chip swears so much. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, he, he has, there's things that he's come up with, like, you know, readings he's done during the cases and things that we literally cannot air because they're just so like inappropriate. <laughs> and we'll be like, <laughs> we'll be like, Chip, we got to table that and we'll go back to that, you know? So yeah, he does. And, and then sometimes, you know, he'll just do, he'll just read on, pick up things on in like our personal life, um, you know, and he'll ask about it. Or like, there was one time we were doing a case and randomly he was like, Amy, your mom's here. And I was like, what, <laughs> you know, like he, things like that. So yeah, it's, um, 
you never know what you're going to get with Chip. It's like I said, I, I love the whole crew. You you guys are the best team out there as far as I'm concerned, as far as entertainment-wise, television-wise. Oh, and I love thanks. everything that you guys do with the show. Now, I want, I want to bring this up first because I want to spend the majority of this conversation on the podcast that you've got going on. Tell me a little bit about Strange Escapes first, though, because that fascinates me. Yeah, so Strange Escapes is a travel company that I own where we basically take haunted vacations. And, you know, uh, the idea is that we go to haunted locations and, um, and, and make it enjoyable in the sense that like we're not sleeping in an old jail or something. You know, we go to places like the Mount Washington Hotel or, uh, you know, <laughs> places that are very nice and then we can do lectures during the day and then we investigate at night and um, and so we, we obviously scaled back a lot the last couple of years, but we're slowly ramping back up. We have a cruise coming up to Europe in the summer. Um, we are doing the, um, we're doing the Belvoir winery in Missouri coming up in, uh, I think that's in June or July. And then I know we have Mount Washington signed for next November. We're planning Gettysburg right now. There's a lot of stuff in the works. Um, so it's, a. Uh, it's a lot of work though. And it's, I, I, I'm kind of a, I have one person who works for me, thank goodness. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there should be more, more, more things being announced soon for strange escapes. And these events usually have some, uh, some of your friends and, and oh, uh, yeah. uh, fellow ghost hunters that come along too. It's not just uh, Hey, come along and, you know, have some fun. There's a bunch of other special guests along with them. Oh yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> we have, we have a, a lot of, of speakers that come with. So like you were talking about hell year earlier, we bring Greg and Dana uh, Newkirk to almost everything. Obviously um, Adam makes me bring him to everyone. Um, chip coffee's there a lot. And um, it's just a really, it's, they, they're all people that I really trust intensely with our guests. Like, you know, I, I just have a, I have a pretty distinct vision and vibe that I really like with strange escapes. I like it just be really comfortable and open and fun and, and everyone talk about whatever they want when it comes to the paranormal. And, um, and so it, it's, it works. And we have a lot of repeat customers, they call themselves escapees and they come back again and again. And, um, but then we also have a lot of new people every time it's really, we're getting a lot of like, um, the paranormal TikTok crowd has discovered it. And so we're getting a lot of like fun, younger people too. So it's just been, oh, nice. I love it. yeah, I love it. TikTok has really become something uh, for paranormal uh, creators like podcasters. And, and like you said, the, your events and stuff like that in the last year, it has really blown up. So it's, it's definitely an avenue that if you're a paranormal podcaster and you're not on TikTok, you might want to jump on there because you're missing the boat. Yeah. And it's, um, it's in dire need of some very legitimate voices too, because there's a lot of people on there that just kind of make, they completely fake these videos, right? <laughs> you know, but then there's a lot of people who are like very genuine, like researchers and have, you know, intense interest in the paranormal. And we need more people like that on paranormal TikTok because paranormal is weird enough. You don't have to make stuff up. Isn't that the truth? Uh -huh. All right. So let's get to the point of the show to where I want to give you a chance to promote something that, that you started doing here a little while back. But uh, most of us, I would say, that listen to our show, they're also fans of Aaron Mankey. Lore was uh, made no bones about it. It's one of the shows that got me interested in podcasts to begin with. And I doubt that I would have a paranormal show if it wasn't for Aaron Mankey. Obviously, indirectly, he didn't uh, help set me up or anything. Mm -hmm. But... He had lore, and then he eventually came out with Cabinet's Curiosities and loved that show, much shorter show. Well, then Aaron decided that he and, and iHeart got together, and he started his own uh, uh, production company called Grim and Mild, and it's now branched out to several different podcasts. And one of the podcasts you are the host of, it's called Haunted Road. I think there's 18, 19 episodes out right now. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast. It's actually you talking about haunted locations, and then you'll usually bring on some paranormal investigators that uh, have some uh, been in touch with that location as well. And so you get a little bit of story time, and you also get a little bit of interview mixed in with the same podcast. But it's it's your personality. It comes through completely 
the same thing that I like about uh, you on Kindred Spirits, I also get on this podcast. So I wanted to advise everybody out there that if you're unaware, go to your podcast app, put in Haunted Road, and then uh, leave Amy a five-star review after you've listened to a couple of episodes, of course, but you'll, you'll want to and let them know you heard about it here on Hillbilly Horror Stories. So tell me how you got involved with uh, this podcast. So um, like you, I was a massive fan of lore and uh, just a massive fan of podcasts in general. Like I, um, I'm always listening to them and I, I tweeted Aaron at some point, or maybe uh, met him on Instagram. I can't remember. And it turned out he was a massive fan of ghost hunters. Like he had watched the entire series and we only lived about an hour from each other. And so we started brainstorming uh, you know, we, we chatted and stuff and it was clear that we just really got along. And, uh, we started, I, I expressed to him that I was kind of interested in doing a podcast and I don't think he had grim and mild at the time, but then when he did, he approached me and, um, we started thinking of ideas and we, you know, had lunch over it and, and he came up, he came up with the concepts for haunted road. And, um, and so then it kind of, and I was like, that's perfect. And so, you know, it took two years for it to happen because there were a lot, there was a lot of contract negotiating between iHeartRadio and, you know, my manager and, um, and then travel, you know, making sure that it was wild how long it took. So I was like, so thankful when it finally happened and I was cleared to, to actually start recording because I was worried it wasn't going to happen, but yeah, so that's how it came to be. That's a, how, how involved are you in like the storylines or, 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 or do you show up and just say, okay, here's the script and here's what I'm going on. Or do you have any input on which story stories that you're actually covering? Oh, I pick all of them. And so I do, I have two researchers working with me now on the show. And so between the three of us, we research these locations heavily and then it's basically like we put, we have a report and then I write the entire script for the first half. So that's probably been the hardest part for me is I really enjoy writing. Um, but it's like that setting aside that time is, is hard because, and then, you know, you want to tell so much, some of them are really in depth and other ones are a little shorter and like it's, but, um, and so, yeah, I do, I write the entire script and then I find the guests. And so I'm super, super involved. Um, and, and I really wouldn't have it any other way to be honest, especially when it comes to research and stuff. I just, I like to make sure all that is on point. And like you said, I, you know, the first few episodes, I kind of was getting my legs, you know, but like now I think I've got it down. <laughs> so, um, but it's, you know, I think I'm trying to get my personality out there more and I think it's coming through. Yeah. I think that's the same with any of us. If it's, you know, if you're, if you're doing a podcast, for example, you know, you, you start off, you have a, you have a, uh, an image in your head of what you expect it to be. And then it might not always be like that the first couple of episodes, but, and then you tweak it. But I mean, that's, it's that way with any television show I watched, I watched like the beginning episodes of Seinfeld compared to what it was two or three seasons in. And it's like, it's hard to believe they're even the same characters. When you go back, you just, you grow with the tweaks. And uh, I think that's the same with you, with your show. It's, I think it's a, a wonderfully done show. We all have growing pains in the beginning. And uh, uh, that's, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of starting at the beginning of a show and growing with it as the show goes. So I think well, you do a grand, a fantastic job with, with every aspect of it. Well, thank you. That means a lot because I, I was so nervous and I still am nervous every Wednesday when a new episode comes out. I'm like, is this one going to you know be received? Well, it's it is completely new for me. It's completely out of my comfort zone, um, but I love doing it. And so I, I, I would like to continue doing it for as long as possible. I think we have, um, I'm contracted for at least three seasons. So, but it's doing really well and like people really like it. And so, you know, it's like, you, you know, you produce a podcast, you're literally putting your heart out there. You're like, here you mm -hmm. go. I hope you like me, <laughs> you know? So I haven't checked your reviews. Uh, have you had any negative reviews? And if so, 
did it kind of did it kind of hit you? Because you're probably not used to seeing reviews. I mean, I'm sure people write you from Kindred Spirits or they write you from Ghost Hunters and all that. But it's different with podcasts when you can actually see a star and some people can say some of the most rude things. Have you had any of those experiences yet? Yeah, like the first Thankfully, I think I have like 2000 five star reviews now, which is amazing because I'm it like, is amazing. Okay. Uh, so um, and I but there are, you know, scattered here and there. There was at one point like Aaron kind of like coached me a little bit because there was at one point this like series of reviews that came out that were like all basically saying the same thing. They were saying I sounded like a robot and that I was boring and, but it was like review after, and it was so clearly written by the same person <laughs> like huh. trying to like, and I was like, as you know, podcasts only help each other. You know, if people are into a genre, the more the merrier, you're not like, you're not broadcasting at the same time as someone else and competing for a time slot or something like you want a genre of podcast to like, to lift up mm-hmm. everyone else. And so, um, but Aaron was like, you know, this happens sometimes he's like, and sadly, it's probably another podcaster. And I was like, Oh, that is so sad. But, um, that was really the only time. So yeah, you know, there were a few moments where I still, every once in a while, people will accuse me of reading or something. And I'm like, of course I'm reading. It's like 30 minutes. What do you think I memorized? This? <laughs> you know, I'm doing my best. <laughs> You know, it's funny that you had mentioned that about um, uh, every we're all in the same boat. And I live by the philosophy, like you said, a, a rising tide raises all ships. So, you know, if 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 your show does good, that's good for us, because somebody may find us based on the fact that they want to find more paranormal shows or, you know, what have you. And that's the way it's always been. We used to have a, another uh, podcaster that I don't think is in the mix anymore, but he used to com- constantly talk about a competitor podcast, a comp- and I'm like, how can you look at it as, as competitors? You know, we're all in the same boat. We all want the same thing, which is for podcasts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it just helps everybody. And it just, uh, it always blew my mind that not everybody saw it that way. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that really came, you know, Aaron brought that up to me. He was like, there's room for everyone. He said, as long as you're making a a polished, decent product, he said, there is room for everyone. You know, it's, you can't just throw a podcast together as I'm sure, you know, like it has to be, um, it has to be well done these days because there are so many. So, (laughs) yeah. So do you get very much feedback from, from uh, Aaron, like, or is it just occasional or how involved is he with the, with like all of his shows? I wonder. He is with my show. He, I mean, I think he pops in every once in a while. We talk about numbers. We talk about things like that. We, we talk more on a personal level, to be honest, more than the show. And, um, but if I need advice or something, I will ask him, but you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, dictate or, and I don't want to say dictate, but he doesn't like tell me ever to change something or, you know, he's very happy with the flow of the show and, you know, the, how it's going as far as listeners and the feedback. And, um, I have a, you know, I have a couple really great producers that, you know, so it's like, it's a really, there's a Graham mild is a really solid team. Like he has really assembled like uh, the best of the best and everyone there is just lovely. So it's, um, but yeah, I, I do feel pretty cool having Aaron Mankey in my corner, though, to be honest. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, Amy, tell everybody out there how they can keep up with all things Amy Bernie. Well, you can go to my website, which is being redone right now. So it's it's not the most mobile friendly, but in the next month or so, it'll be all new. It's amy-bruni.net. Um, follow me on all my social medias. It's at Amy Bruni everywhere, pretty much. Um, and don't be afraid to say hi. I love chatting with people. So, Well, th- let me say this about you for everybody out there. You know, I've set up a bunch of these interviews over the last almost six years. and Sometimes you have to go through so many hoops and understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I literally reached out to you and and said, hey, haven't had you on the show in a while. Would you be interested in coming on? And within two or three days, we're actually recording the interview. It's one <laughs> yeah. of the easiest processes, which says a lot about you as a person, because, you know, you have a, a very successful show on Travel Channel. 
And some of the people that I've talked to that have also been on Travel Channel, they actually wouldn't uh, wouldn't even allowed to even talk to somebody about setting up an interview. It had to go through Travel Channel or it had to go through uh, Discovery or whatever the deal would be. And that's that's just one of those things that sets you apart. I'm sure you could have very easily said, okay, contact my manager and all this. And you didn't do that. And that says 100% about the quality of a person you are, because I know you're bombarded with requests and you just personally talk to everybody. And I just want to say from me, Thank you for being as genuine a person as I always thought you were from television. Oh, well, thank you. I really do appreciate that. I do try to get, you know, you and I, we've talked before over the years. And so it was like, yeah, of course I'll do this show again. <laughs> so, you know, you, I, um, I always get a lot of feedback um, after I do the show. So I was like, oh, these guys are great. So yeah, of course. <laughs> awesome. Well, Amy, I wish you nothing but the best of luck with all of your future endeavors and hopefully Kindred Spirits uh, goes on for another six seasons and uh, the podcast goes on way past your three season uh, contract. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks.